Hello and welcome to this week's edition of, we'll call it Pitching In. Um, we'll explain the change here. I'm Jason Mackey alongside Andrew Destin, who we've stolen from the hockey world for about 30 minutes, and we're going to talk some ball here. Love it. Almost all the way through uh, the divisional series, we're recording this before Braves Phillies, um, so we don't have the result of that one. But anyway, uh, we're going to talk a lot of playoff baseball and some impressions from that, what the Pirates can maybe learn. Um, a little bit of a programming note first. We're going to go from two to one podcast, at least until the winter meeting. So we've had pitching in in our YouTube show, and, and we're going to do one with basically, you know, Ford will be back next week. He's been down coaching in Tennessee, and uh, we'll get Andrew involved when he's not tied up with hockey. Uh, so anyway, we're down to one. Look for us on Friday mornings for the interim. Anyway, and we are, as always, I'd like to remind you, brought to you by the North Shore Tavern, as you see on your screen. If you love baseball, you will love the North Shore Tavern. The in interior is wall-to-wall -wall pirates. As you know, there are appetizers, entrees, cocktails, and, of course, steak and seafood on a sizzling lava stone open every day. The North Shore Tavern across from PNC Park is Pittsburgh's home for steak and a stone. Andrew, before I get to how you're doing, um, we need to ho hopefully get you down to the North Shore Tavern next week. Fort and I are planning something when he gets back in town. Um, so hopefully the middle of your week is, is good next week. We'll arrange that. But how are you doing? Oh, well, first off, I'm doing better because of that invitation. But second, I'm doing well. It's uh, been happy in Penguins world with that coverage. Um, I'm sure Penguins fans would prefer that I wasn't writing something about the Eric Carlson experience not quite going according to plan in the opener or the Penguins <laughs> not blowing a third period lead. But hey, yeah. here, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So, that yeah, that's that's been an interesting, interesting uh. experience, the whole thing. I watched that the other night and uh, – yeah, I was I was not jealous of you. I was very happy to let you and Matt Benzel do the excellent work that you did, and I was going to sit there as a as a consumer. Yep. Was, uh, oh, quick, quick we're going around, right? That can't continue. Not I know this isn't a hockey podcast, but you you spend time in that world. Sure, I uh, it can't continue just in the sense that they are not playing the Blackhawks again tomorrow, so that part cannot continue. I mean, think about it; they've played. Two re regular season home, the last two regular season home games have been the yep. Blackhawks. One of them, it ruined their postseason chances, and the other one, uh, Connor Bedard and company stomped over their home opener. So uh, I think they just need to not play the Blackhawks. Other than that, you know, eight, eighty-one and one, they're going to be set the rest of the way. They're fine. Yeah. All right, so we're going to talk actually um, about another playoff team in Pittsburgh, the old Pirates. Ooh. All right, they didn't make the playoffs yet. Had, had me for a second there. I was like, what, what am I doing? It's Bucktober. What did I miss? I do <laughs> I do think it's fairly attainable. I do. Um, but the first topic, um, and this is going to run you know, concurrent with the story I'm putting on our website, something I've been working on, um, about one thing that the Pirates can learn from various playoff entrants. And it's not as crazy as you think. If you look at the Houston Astros, the Arizona Diamondbacks, um, the Texas Rangers, like these teams do things that the pirates can look at and reasonably emulate. They really do. Um, but before we get to that, I, I think the playoffs so far have been fantastic. I've probably seen more of them than you just because I've been able to sort of detach and I've been off this week and just enjoying watching playoff baseball. But have you had any, any chance to watch it? What have you thought so far? Super jealous of the time you're getting to watch it because this has been in my memory um, of the last four or five postseasons. Like, this has probably been the most exciting one. Um, and what I think is so exciting about it is you got a bunch of teams in there that just haven't been in this in a while, right? Yes. I mean, we talk about look what the Diamondbacks are doing. This is a team, what, first time they've advanced to the LCS since 07, I think? Yep. Like, 
you know, I mean, that's really been fun to watch. I mean, me selfishly as a Giants fan, love seeing Bruce Bochy get after it again with the Rangers. He's Who are you just, kidding? You like seeing the Dodgers lose. Yeah, that's what I'm most happy about. <laughs> <laughs> that had me thrilled. I got to be honest, watching Kike Hernandez line out to left, I was like, all right, getting the FaceTime from dad, brother's calling me. <laughs> Whole experience. But, I mean, it's been fun, man. It's been so so athletic baseball, great pitching, timely hitting. It's all the yeah. things you ask for. And all things, yeah, you kind of tip the hand there. Things that the Pirates could learn a thing or two from, huh? Well, and good storylines, too. I've liked that, too. Uh, I love the – like we. I, I want to debate the validity of this, although it's tough to say from as far away as we are. But, like, the Orlando Arcia stuff and Bryce Harper and Bryce Harper staring at him. And, you know, yeah. you clearly, like, kind of poked the bear. And um, was Jake Mintz from Cespedes Family Barbecue? Like, what, was he right to use what he used? I don't know. I don't feel like I need to levy an opinion. I don't know what Arcia said, how loud he said it, and what setting it's it's okay to use that. Um, certainly seemed like, you know, from the media side, they were saying that he was just like screaming it out in the open, in which case I would fully endorse using it if he said it to somebody else and Mintz just happened to hear it. It's kind of a gray area, but in any case, I've loved that. Um, Nate Evaldi has been awesome to watch. Um, I loved seeing the Twins snap their streak. What was it, 18, 19 years without a playoff victory, and then they win a series. That's been really cool. I thought last night's game was outstanding with the Twins really fighting tooth and nail all the way to the end against the Rangers. So I, I just I think it's been a really good post. The Orioles being as good as they were in the regular season and then just flopping. I mean, really all of the NL East Toronto with the no show Tampa with the no show. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been very interesting. I thought the Brewers were going to do a lot more than they did the injury to Woodruff. And then all of a sudden they're yeah. gone bounced early. So yeah, it's been an exciting postseason. but as we get into stuff that I think that the pirates can learn from these teams, I'm actually going to start with the Astros. And one thing that I think is most applicable to them is not only the homegrown talent, but the dominance that they've showed on the international market. It has been absolutely incredible. If you go through the Astros roster and think about who they've gotten internationally, Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, um, Luis Garcia, Brian Abreu, like that is some serious, serious talent. And then if you want to extend that and say homegrown guys, okay, obviously Jose Altuve, Jeremy Pena, um, Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker. I'm probably missing one or two, but Hunter Brown is in there. Chaz McCormick. Um, they've also done a good job with trades. And this is sort of a secondary area, but stuff that's applicable to the Pirates. Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez was so darn good this season, was required for, required, excuse me, for Josh Fields a couple years ago. You're probably like, who's Josh Fields? <laughs> you, you Lovely know, reliever. Great reliever. Oh, who's that? Fields? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'll take Jordan Alvarez. Um, but, like Hector Neris, free agent signing, Ryan Presley, trade. Like, anyway, my point in all of this is that's all stuff the Pirates have done poorly. That's all stuff the Pirates know they need to do better. But it starts to me with finding guys internationally because they have the same financial means, the same bandwidth, whatever you want to say, to access those players. And also the draft guys, you know, they could have taken Kyle Tucker. They could have taken Alex Bregman. They could have taken any of these guys. Um, and you need to be right. You need to be right on this stuff. It's not optional for them. So I, I, I always 
I mean, obviously there's other parallels you can draw, right? But like I look at the Astros and I'm just amazed at how many homegrown guys they have. Right. And I think, I mean, you're hitting on it right there. It's homegrown guys. And I, I reiterate that to say that you look at this Astros team, compare it to ones that, you know, the one that won the first World Series title for them. This is outside of Jose Altuve. You know, this is not very much like the same roster. This is a roster that's shown, okay, we're willing to let Carlos Correa walk in free agency. This is a team that said that it's willing to move on from guys. And I bring that point up to say that, you know, a Pirates fan who's watching this saying, well, of course, you know, the Astros can do it because they can spend money. It's a big media market, all that sort of stuff. It's like, it doesn't really ring true with the Astros for all the points that you've brought up. It's that they've dominated when it comes to player development. They've dominated when it comes to player identification and it's paying dividends for them. So you look up and down the roster and yeah, you can make a fun trade at a trade deadline because you have that surplus of talent. And I bring that all up to say that with the Pirates, the reason I think that's relevant is because the key now for creating that sustained success, because otherwise you're going to fall into those lulls, right? Where it's the, you're up three to four years, you're down three to four years, you're up, you're down, and you're like hoping to be up. And if you misfire on a couple of prospects, well, then you've screwed the pooch. Like, I think the key here is with the Pirates, the reason it's relevant is because there is that wave right now that is relatable to what the Astros have done in a sense of, hey, this is young guys coming up. They have potential. They're highly thought of, high draft picks, all that sort of stuff. But then the Astros maintain that success afterward. Like Alex Bregman was a high draft pick, sure. Um, you know, but outside of that, it's like these aren't guys that were Paul Skeen's level picks. You know, that was the beginning of it with the Astros. But outside, yeah. outside of it, they've been able to build up a rapport behind it and get guys through, you know, international free agency. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a mix, right? Like Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker would like, I, I guess I didn't realize how darn good he was this yeah. year, like looking at it from afar. He's so, so under the radar. He's so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. 284, 37 doubles, 29 homers, 112 RBIs, 30 steals, 886 OPS. Like, holy crap. Has he been good? That's just, there's really no other deeper observation than that. That just surprised me in, in researching this. But um, yeah, and like even your your free agent signs, like Hector Neris, you know, I look at somebody like that they got from the Phillies and he's been fantastic. And, you know, bit parts, signing guys that sort of fit well. Um, you know, they know they needed, knew they needed a pitcher, go out and get Verlander this year. He's been tremendous. Um, so yeah, it's, the Pirates are obviously going to operate like not on the exact scale of the Astros. You don't need them to, but you need to get, you know, Shaylin Polanco, um, you know, some of their other international guys that they've brought along uh, recently. I mean, let me pull up a few names because they're not on the front of my brain, unfortunately, but like some of these bigger signs that they've had recently, they absolutely have to hit on these guys. It's not optional. Your Danny De Los Santos is another one that they've brought in uh, recently. Tony Blanco Jr., um Esther Suero um so anyway yeah there's been there's been a few so that's one thing there um what else did I do um sort of sifting through some research one thing I attached to the Texas Rangers Andrew curious what you think here there may be maybe some deeper parallels but the one that stood out the most to me if you look at like what they like to do what the Pirates like to do drafting college guys and having success with it um, Wyatt Lankford this year, the outfielder out of Florida that some people had linked to the Pirates. Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, Justin Foscue, Josh Jung. All college guys dating back to 2019. And the Pirates have kind of gotten that rep too, whether it's Paul Skeens, Nick Gonzalez, Henry Davis, 
Um, I think they're, am I missing some? No, Tamar was a high schooler. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's Triolo's a, a prominent college bat near the top there. Uh, so anyway, that was, that was, it's a smaller link, uh, but it's been, it's been neat to see what the Rangers have done as well. Even if it's not, I don't think as applicable to the Pirates. Yeah, it's a hard one to unwrap there, right? Because you got like everybody could say, okay, well, with the Rangers, it's just Seeger Simeon. They spent $600 million up yeah. the middle, and that's Pirates it. And like, yeah, Pirates aren't going to do that, but you also have to fill out your other 24 guys on the roster, and you also have to develop a farm system behind that. And it's like, yes, the Rangers have done better because they've spent money. They've also spent money for like a long time. This isn't some new phenomenon for them. It's like now they're supplementing the roster, and it helps to get like, a Jonah Heim from the, from the A's and like figure out that you have something there with him is like a very good catcher. So um, I think it's a good point to bring up. And it's, it's so funny whenever I talk about like college bats, like maybe this is just me being the nerd Bay area sports fan I am, but like, I always just think back to like the money ball discussions, both with reading and watching the movie, how it's like, we don't draft high school kids. We draft college bats and it's like, yeah. or college arms. And it's like, well, maybe there's something to that. I mean, yeah, it's your, you know, now it's you want guys who are more athletic. You're not just buying the hit tool. You're not just signing away for a guy who gets on base at a high clip. Like it's about the whole baseball player because we value defense a hell of a lot more than we did 20 years ago. But like there's something to be said about getting a developed college bat or a developed college arm. Like, I don't know. It still probably feels like a little bit more safer of a pick. Maybe there's not as much upside, but who cares, right? You're still getting a good player. His defense does not matter. <laughs> it kind of no. matters, Brad Pitt. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the line with Hatterberg. Yeah. What about first base? It's incredibly hard. Or what about the fans? Yeah, maybe we can teach him to play first base. Good one. <laughs> Good one washed. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So Diamondbacks, I'll put you on the spot. What's what's a parallel you see with those guys? Ooh, with the Pirates? Yeah. This one. Ooh. This one's deep. I, I don't know. I'd be surprised if you got this. Yeah, I'm going to say we're not going to match it. And I'm also going to say that I'm not looking for a comparison with the two, three, four, five hitters of the Diamondbacks lineup to that of the Pirates. Because yeah. memory serves me right, I believe two through five of the Diamondbacks all all-stars. Yeah. Um, not looking at that parallel. What I am looking at the parallel is uh, this is a group that's led by a pretty darn good bullpen. Um, I will say I will say that's been really fun to watch for the Diamondbacks. They've got good starting pitching. Everybody wants to talk about Zach Gallen. But that bullpen was money throughout that Dodgers series. They yep. were huge. They were huge in the wild card round too. And I'm like, I'm not saying the Pirates have that, but moments like these, and tip of the cap to Tori Lovello. I mean, the way he's managed throughout this. I mean, this guy's money. But like, I just look at it as a bullpen really matters. And I'm not saying the Pirates have one of the best in baseball, but you got Bednar. He's one of the best closers in baseball. I like Holderman as a setup man for a lot of guys. Like, I don't know. I, I think there's something the Pirates could take from that. Of hey, if we build up a good bullpen even more so than what we showed in the second half of the season that like that can be impactful. I don't know. That was a shot in the dark. I don't know if I was remotely no, close. Not, no, I like, I did not expect that at all. And I really like it. Um, what I have is completely opposite of that. Um, <laughs> I went with the running and sort of mastering Ooh. the game today and how aggressive they are. They, they win in ways that a team like the Arizona diamondbacks can and should win. And a team like the pirates can and should win. They run a lot and they run efficiently. Maybe that's the right way. Like they don't get thrown out a ton, but they steal a pretty good amount of bases. Um, believe they sealed, they stealed, they stole 166 this past season. Uh, success rate 865. Only the Mets were better. The Pirates, conversely, were not good. 741 was their success rate on steals. Only the Angels were worse. 
Um, they also controlled the running game really well. They threw out a lot of guys. Um, so, I mean, just, just smart ways that you can gain advantages going first to third and, um, you know, not getting picked off, running at opportune times. The Diamondbacks were really good at that. And they also have the fewest errors in Major League Baseball. Uh, 56, best fielding percentage in in Major League Baseball as well. So, uh, to me, that's something with the Pirates. It's, it, it's, again, not optional. You have to be good defensively. They made strides this year. They weren't all the way there. Um, but, you know, you had some guys improve. Naturally, you're going to get some defense there with Key Brian Hayes. Um, Carlos Santana certainly helped. He could win a gold glove, but I still think they have work to do defensively. But running and defense were the two things that stood out with Arizona. And honestly, just to wrap up this discussion before we pivot to some other topics, I don't even know where I'd go with Philly and, and Atlanta. I really don't. I, I have a tough time figuring out how they would compare to the Braves or what they could take from the – I mean, you could say hitting a lot of home runs. That's a lot of <laughs> – that's a lot of fun. Um, I might go with sort of the bond and and what has been created with Philly and the fans. To me, that's like that. That's that's what you want. That's why you do this. That's that's what they had in 13, 14, 15, and what every team should be looking to obtain. Like you want your your fan. I can't believe I'm saying that about Philadelphia fans, but like, man, oh man, have those environments been a lot of fun. Um, it seems like this group just like there's great clubhouse chemistry. They have a lot of fun playing at Citizens Bank Park and, and you know, feeding off the fans. So I'd look at something like that and recreating it at PNC. Yeah, I mean, that's a very real home field advantage. Like, I, you know, I can't diminish that at all. And it's like PNC is somebody who'd never been to a pay- playoff game at PNC Park. It's like anytime I see those videos, that's the only thing that resonates with me when I'm watching these Phillies games. I'm like, that throws me back to watching Russell Martin send one into the cheap seats. Like yeah. that's that's where my mind goes. But um, I will make one parallel with the Braves. I might be totally off base with this, so I'll. Preface and by the way, we're recording this before the game, so you know, right? Th- this series, we're, we're well aware, could be over. But go ahead, right? Here. Sorry. Very well, could be done. Uh, yeah. Phil's in four. May have predicted that. Um, how, however, but with the Braves, a takeaway that you could apply to the Pirates is that. Maybe there is something to be said about having a pretty set one through eight, one through nine in your lineup. And I say that just because, li- listen, there was a lot of talk. I know, I know. It's a lot easier when you oh, got 20. Oh, how, how long have you been gone, friend? I know, I know. 20 to 30 home run mashers up and down the lineup in the Braves. It's a little different with the Pirates. But I, I say all that to say that, like, they messed around with that lineup a bunch. Key was batting leadoff. Then he was batting cleanup. He was hitting fifth. Like, Sawinski was up in the order and dropping down. And, like, I think all of that's fine, but maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something to, you know, what people actually say about the conventional baseball wisdom of if you're always hitting in the two hole that you adjust to it. I I could be totally wrong. Please call me out. I I mean, I love it. I love it. I wish they would keep the same lineup. I'm not holding my breath. (laughs) I learned a long time ago, like, the the only thing guaranteed with Derek Shelton's lineups is change. Yeah. Whether people like that or hate that, it's just going to happen. Um, and he's going to laugh at it, and he's not going to take lineup questions seriously. And for whatever reason, um, he's just going to make a – be it matchups, gut feel, whatever. Like Him having the same lineup two days in a row is actually notable because it rarely happens. Again, if yeah. I was managing the team, I would not do that. I think there's something to be said for setting down roots and getting comfortable places and a way lineup flows. But – I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the Braves can give them something to aspire to. Yeah. Well, all I know is Brian Snicker is a very different person than Derek Shelton. Yeah. That much I know. There's a takeaway. Beautiful. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, before we get on to our next topic, I want to remind you about the great Yinzer tailgate. It brings the best of the Berg to South Point on November 4th, showcasing Pittsburgh's rich culture, iconic sports history, and vibrant community spirit. The great Yinzer tailgate, it will immerse you in a unique blend of traditions that make Pittsburgh legendary. Visit thegreatyinzertailgate.com for details. We'll see you in there, quite literally. Hope to see you there. If you if you want to check that out seriously, uh, Google that. You can just Google Great Yinzer Tailgate. Um, it, it's something we're obviously involved in. And if you are a Pittsburgh sports fan at all, it is it's mecca. Uh, it, it it looks completely nuts. Um, I'm looking forward to taking my family. Um, God bless the off season. I have the opportunity to do it. My four year old son, who is nothing but a consummate Pittsburgh sports obsessed Yinzer. Um, we'll, we'll love it. And it is scratching all of those itches for you. So, okay. One thing we didn't get a chance to get into Andrew, because of timing and this podcast and hockey and this end of the season, blah, 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 some arbitration projections that I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, so the pirates have six guys here that came up via MLB trade rumors. And I wanted to kind of bat around what we thought about these, if they were high, if they were low, what they mean going forward, I'm going to read them. And then we're going to sort of work. I don't know, for a random order. I'll say work from the bottom up, but whatever. Ryan Baraki, Miguel Andujar, Mitch Keller, JT Brubaker, David Bednar, Connor Joe are your six guys. And Connor Joe is super two, will be considered super two. Joe is projected to make two million. Andujar projected to get 2.2 million. Let's stop there. Do either of those surprise you? And what do you think about those numbers as they relate to the pirates looking at their 2024 roster, like are those palatable to you? Would you, would you bring them back or would you say, mm, I might look elsewhere. I would keep Joe. I would not keep Andujar. And okay. I say that because Andujar, I, I think I have a hunch of why that number is as high as it is. And I could be wrong, but I, it's gotta be based on that rookie year, right? Like it's, that's influenced into it. Probably better big league accomplishments in his career, a more tenured big leaguer than Connor Joe. But like, Joe was just kind of a late bloomer, and I feel like he provides more at this career in terms of position flexibility. I know Andujar played a little bit of first base when he was at the Yanks and tried third base for a while, but that's not really something that's of a need for the Pirates these days. So, like, I don't know. Feels like Joe over Andujar. Am I wrong there? No, I I question whether I want either one, to mm. be honest with you. I, You know, and I, I, I go back to something Ben Charrington said on his radio show toward the end of the season where – I think he said, I don't see why not when asked about Josh Palacios being on the major league roster. Okay, well, if you operate with that to be true, I wouldn't think they're going to have Henry Davis off the roster. I'd have a tough time believing they're not going to have Andy Rodriguez or Jason DeLay on the roster, which means to get Davis in the lineup, it's probably in the outfield. You're not going to bump Sawinski. You're not going to bump Reynolds. All of a sudden, we've got five outfielders real quick. And that's without, you know, potentially trying to find Jared Triolo at bats or, or who the heck knows, but I just, and, and you know, Triolo has shown that he can play first base. So can Connor Joe um, Triolo can bounce around a couple different places. Like if you can hedge your bet on Triolo, I'm not sure what Connor Joe is giving you that you don't already have um, yeah. either in the outfield or other ways for cheaper. Um, so if you're the Pirates and you're looking to sort of maximize every dollar, I don't know if that makes sense for you. Um, and I like Connor Joe and I might like not non-tender him because I think that's tradable. Like if you would if you would tender Andujar and another team might acquire him with like knowing that's what what the number looks like, I don't see that happening. With Joe, 
if you're saying this is Connor Joe, this is what he does. He makes 2 million bucks. I still think you can move that. I don't think that's that much of a threat. Um, you know, that's still a reasonable number. I just don't see how it necessarily fits within their scheme or what else they have or what else they've said that they've liked, how realistic anybody can get at bats, whatever. Um, I guess maybe, maybe you think Connor Joe is like, a, you know, you, you basically don't sign a first baseman. I, I My brain has gone there, um, which I hope that isn't the case. But if you go Joe and Triolo and just sort of split that, even though they're both right-handed, I'm not sure how the split would even work. But yeah, it's it's a weird thing, man. I just, I don't know if I need to pay 2 million bucks for Connor Joe. And Duhar is an easy one for me. That's an easy non-tender. Yeah. It's uh with Joe, I mean, you kind of hit on it right there. We've talked about it a lot in this podcast about both being right-handed guys, him and Triolo. It's like, wouldn't you rather save that two mil and put it towards any other left-handed hitting hitter that you could, or left-handed hitter that you could put at first base? Because yeah. otherwise you're just kind of like divvying up reps in kind of a complicated manner to try and appease people. And like, yeah, I mean, you should feel optimistic about what Triolo showed you the last two months. Yeah, it's a rookie season. Yeah, it's only, you know, whatever, how many games he played, 60, 70 games. But, like, that still matters. It's still important, yeah. you know. So I, I look at it as, yeah, I if I have to choose between one of the two, yeah, it's, certainly it's Joe. But I, I kind of see your point of there might not be a huge reason to bring him back if you want to get Triolo those ABs. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I don't know where it's going. So Baraki comes in at 1.3. To me, that might be one of the easiest decisions they have to make this offseason. What say you? Yes. And yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, come on. He was money, dude. Like, and I I was skeptical of Baraki. Like when they picked him up, got him in May, I think made his debut with the Pirates at the beginning of June, I want to say, off the top of my head. Like, this is a guy that I'd heard from people who, you know, cover the Cubs or watch the Cubs a lot. That this is a guy who, you know, kind of a soft toss lefty, hadn't really figured it out, was kind of bounced around was the former starter with the Blue Jays and then kind of fanned out there. And it was like, he was money for the Pirates. And whether that was finding that new pitch with that slider cutter, um, if that was just like he needed a change of scenery, get involved with Oscar Marine, like whatever it was, it worked out tremendously. And yeah, Barucki's an easy yes for me, especially at that figure. Totally. Yeah. David Bednar goes up to four point, what well, not goes up to, it's his first year through R, but um, gets goes to 4.7 million. JT Brubaker, 2.28, at least according to these projections, which tend to be pretty good, by the way. I remember my first year on baseball. I'm like, wait a second. There are these projected numbers through a website called Trade Rumors. What the heck is that? Sounds like gobbledygook. Why would anybody pay attention to that? But they actually do a pretty reasonable job. Of, they, they get you in the ballpark. And Mitch Keller goes to 6 million. I mean, those are whatever, right? Like you're going to pay the yeah. fare. You're going to keep those guys. They all make sense. Uh, Brubaker's is, I think it's actually a little bit lower than his number last year. I, I would still pay it. Um, I think they, they are much better with Brubaker. Um, and the question with Keller to me, honestly, is, is can they avoid that number or does that roll into some sort of long-term extension um, or longer-term extension, I should say. I don't think it's going to be like eight to 10 years, but you know, maybe a five-year deal. And I do think that could reasonably get done this off season. Um, so yeah, some interesting things to pay attention to. They're not, not necessarily imminent. Um, as people know, moves are kind of frozen through the world series. Um, so we'll see, but just some stuff that came out. I wanted to get into one last question, Andrew. I want to, I want to debate this with you because um, I think I'm going to write about it for next week. I, I don't know if we have any different opinions, though. No, we're going to be subtly on the same page. <laughs> what are they doing with Henry Davis and why? 
Give me oh. a reason why this makes sense. Oh, you stumped me at the why part. Um, I was just going to say, let the guy play right field and I don't understand what the catching thing is, but I mean, that's exactly. Is there, is there a way that this makes sense that we're not seeing? Like what could the reasoning possibly be for this? In a vacuum, in a phone booth last year at this time, it would make some degree of sense because they were trumping out that idea of Andy can catch the majority of the games and and Henry could you know catch a few. Right, like they would each yeah. be able to. You wouldn't have to have a backup catcher on roster. All of that. Uh, yeah. Jason Delay proved himself perfectly adequate with right. that. With that development in mind, and with the reluctance to put Henry behind the dish, I see no reason that this is logical. I think it's a disservice to the guy. And I'm not yep. going to say kid because you know, he, you know he's about my age. I'm 24 for God's sakes. But um, <laughs> but like it's a disservice to him because it's a guy who's learning a new position. He's trying to play right field for the first time in his life and you know, showed he has the strong arm and showed that he can, you know, he is an athletic guy and maybe the routes aren't there yet. They're not, but they can be. Let him work on it over spring, tra- uh, over the offseason, work on it going into spring training. And I know that it's a lot harder to be a catcher than a right fielder, which is why they want him to keep working on being a catcher. But what's the end goal here? To have him take over for Endy as the everyday catcher? That's probably not happening. Endy's right. shown he's a very good defensive catcher. I see no reason this makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, do you want somebody to supplement Endy? Because Jason DeLay has been just fine. Yeah. He's been just fine. And, like, him handling Mitch Keller is a lot different than Endy handling Mitch Keller for whatever reason. And I I, I don't know why they're resistant to, like, the personal catcher thing. I, I, I remember asking Derek Shelton this season, what are your feelings on, like, having personal catchers? And he said he doesn't like it. He thinks anybody on his staff should be able to catch anybody. I forget who – I think it was the Braves – where all of a sudden Mitch is pitching and they put Andy back there. Like that's the time we're ripping the bandaid off and having Andy catch Mitch. And then after that delay caught him the rest of the year. It's like, it's okay. And and Mitch was markedly different the rest of the year. That's been a nice pairing. The last, I think it was his last start, maybe the next to last or whatever. I remember Quinn Priester had a very good start with delay catching him and delay made the comment that they're actually very similar. He and Mitch Keller. So I'm like, well, geez, okay, all right. I'm matching up delay and pre- delay with Priester and Keller. Silence your phone. I Come did. On. It's off. It, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, you know, and then you got Andy for the other three guys, whoever that turns out to be. You know, uh, Oviedo and hopefully two free agent signings. But I just don't understand the logic of putting Henry there. I agree with you. I think you're doing a disservice to him. I think he has a lot of work to do in right field. I'm sure he has a lot of work to do behind the plate. And if it's if behind the plate is such a priority, why weren't we looking at that at all this season? I think he caught two innings. And you're yeah. telling me if he's not good enough to even catch mop-up time or, or you know, some, like, getaway day game that, you know, I don't want to say you don't care about, but, like, you're willing to take the risk. Right. All of a sudden, he's going to be, like, an impactful part of the major league roster as a cat. I just, man, I don't understand it. And all the while, I'm looking at this, like, He's got to be a heck of a lot better in right field. He really does. Um, and and that's okay. I don't blame Henry for being bad in right field. I thought what was asked of him was really, really hard. And you said, like, if they would just sit him down and say, like, this is what we need. We need you to play right field. This is how we need you to get better. This is what we're going to do to get there. I have no doubt that he would come back and be very good at it. And we've been down this road on the podcast. I just don't, for the life of me, I don't understand this, this thinking and what they're doing with him. So anyway, that was... 
not much of a debate when the two of us wholeheartedly agree. And I'm I'm not in a hurry to defend the other point. It's more, I guess, just a, a gripe session because I don't understand it. Yeah, that's where I'm at, man. And I just view it as like, I mean, there's so much to be done in right field that it's very difficult to become better at catcher. I, I view that as I take them at face value on that, that yes, it is harder to be a catcher than a right fielder in the big leagues. Yeah. It also calls into question that like, why was it, and you know, why was this something that was not prioritized more? I, I understand that the bat forced the issue to get him to the big leagues, but yeah. like they, they treated him like an emergency catcher, essentially. It was just like a guy who could say, it's somebody on a big league roster that says, oh, I caught in high school or I caught in college. Like that's yeah. how he was kind of treated. And I, that was kind of been a service to him in terms of that development. But yeah, I so, view this as, okay. yeah. I think, I think I understand the thinking there where they okay. wanted to catch him. They were really hoping that as they went to double A, triple A, all this stuff that like it was going to get better. It was going to get usable. So like, we're not going to spend too much time worrying about right field. Like it's going to get better. It's going to be okay. And then it just never did. I kind of get that. Yeah. And then you're like, you know, oh, it's in the major leagues. He, man, like he's going to be, if he's bad back there, that affects everybody else on the field. We can't really risk that. He might affect the pitchers in a negative way. We can't risk that. All of that I understand. If you determine him to just not be a good catcher and you say you're not catching, you're playing right field. To me, that's that's relatively linear. That makes sense. What I don't understand is like, you're bad at catching. We're not going to catch you. And then next year, you're going to catch. Yeah, yeah. you're going to catch. You're going to catch. Whenever we get good, you're going to catch. Yeah. Just, there's something missing there. there. There's something missing. I don't know what it is. Maybe we'll have an answer in March. I don't know that we will. Um, but like, I don't think <laughs> he ever gets back there in a meaningful way. I really no. don't. I think they try it. I think it looks bad in spring, and I think they shelve it. That's my, that's my prediction. I would say that is one to go to the bank with. Whatever your bookie is, viewers, that is a good one to go to the bank with. I'm not giving gambling bet. advice. What's that? <laughs> I said I don't have a bookie, and I don't know how to bet, so that's going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's dead honest truth, man. I've never yeah. bet in my life. I couldn't I couldn't make a bet on something if I tried. If really? I walked into the Pittsburgh sports book or whatever the heck it's called at Rivers Casino, I, I couldn't. I literally could I. I would need some sort of staff assistance to even wager on something. That's wow. how that's how bad it is. I've never, I've never gambled at a casino. Um, I've maybe like played a slot machine somewhere. Okay. The most most slot machine I've ever played is like the end of Mario Two, which I don't even know oh. if you played Mario Two, so that might go completely over your head. But um, I know what you're referencing. I didn't play the game, unfortunately. Sorry, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> it's all right. Well, it's just just know you're in the presence of a man that is still wanted at the blackjack tables in Turks and Caicos. Let's just say yeah. I know my way around a blackjack table. Let's, let's still wanted? What do you mean? Oh, I mean, I took too money from him, man. I was too good. Really? No, I'm just kidding. I'm playing with okay. you. Okay. No, <laughs> I don't I'm know. Say, I'm saying it like a joking way. I don't know how many like all-nighters you've pulled in casinos <laughs> and what sort of things that you do when you're away from baseball. I <laughs> And it's no, not a business. No, now I'm just at I'm just at UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex. I'm no longer found at the blackjack tables. What can I All say? All right, well that's good. I I hope you're making curfew, not blowing it <laughs> off like you did on baseball all the time. Hey, no, whoa! Kidding. <laughs> all right, that's enough from us. Good talk. I enjoy this. We'll uh we'll have to do more of this. I'll be in touch about lunch next week when Fortress gets back into town. We'll do a little 
do a little thing, might bring him in the office and uh, and have some fun with him that way. But uh, McHenry will be back next week. He's been coaching a USA baseball team, I believe, and I'm going to give him a whole bunch of crap because he's. I sent him a, a Casper gif this morning. He's like <laughs> he hasn't answered me, and I just got straight up ghosted for like a day and a half. I don't I don't know what's going on with him, but he he told me he'll be back to normal next week. So good. Well. We'll, we'll do this all again real soon. In the meantime, like and subscribe. You can check out all of our Post-Gazette content as well as stuff that Andrew and I write, watch, say, doodle, all that stuff, whatever. Thank you for joining me, brother. Enjoy Penguin stuff. For Andrew Destin, I'm Jason Mackey. Talk to you next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.